What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Rehab Project Podcast. Today, we had one of my buddies, Tyler Pultro, on for a nice conversation. Tyler was an intern for me when I was with the U.S. ski team. Since then, he's been all over. Right now, he is in UC uh, San Diego as a GA, um, finishing up his master's. Obviously, with COVID, some things have changed. We kind of uh, talked about that, how that's working with NCAA, talked about what they do with some of their intake for ACL, um, for rehab, kind of how they work with their PTs and their strength conditioning staff, and then really what they're doing for uh, neurocognition with those athletes. So hopefully you enjoy it. All right, Tyler Pultro, welcome, buddy. Um, Thanks, man. So Tyler um, was or is uh, <laughs> a GA yeah, right. at UC San Diego. Um, if you want to kind of chat about that a little bit, what teams you've been working with. I know you're saying you're having some um, changes as far as the transitioning possibly to D1. Um, so, yeah, you can go into that a little bit if you want to. Yeah, no, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. I love the uh, the, the logo, the bridge, everything kind of connecting into the where you're at St. Louis. So. Uh, first off, congrats on everything with that. I mean, this is this is fun, but yeah, where I'm at is kind of limbo, like the few states that keep going up and down with everything in the pandemic. So, I was at UC San Diego this past year. Was is still kind of there. Um, I was on as a year contract while I was doing my masters and finishing that down the road at Point Loma Nazarene University with uh, Dr. Brent Alvar. But a few people know his name being on some textbooks and things like that. He's a great dude. Um, but yeah, UC San Diego is where I've been uh, in the athletic performance unit there with Lauren Green. He's the analyst that brought me on. And I took the lead on women's tennis, uh, men's golf, and then was assisting basketballs and pretty much anyone else that was uh, in the facility. And they were going through the transition to Division One this summer. And a bit of a, a state of limbo for anyone that wasn't on as a full-time performance coach. So being that I was basically in the GA capacity, um, pretty much like a lot of coaches right now, we're, we're in a waiting game. Um, obviously, we're kind of at the mercy of conferences dropping like flies, saying that the fall isn't happening. Uh, so it's been, a, it's been a, an odd time period to be finishing up a master's degree and kind of having, you know, anything in front of you to having nothing in front of you in terms of just the industry right now but it's it's been fun man i mean it's not a bad place to be during quarantine with the weather out here it didn't feel didn't feel too much like cabin fever like my folks at back east in philadelphia they were getting a little stir crazy so um but it's been good it's been good it's uh it's been fun so far so yeah yeah, and are you still working with some of the athletes right now? Like, how's that working out with COVID? So, you know, the NCAA. So technically, we haven't been able, as performance coaches, to really work, quote-unquote, with them. Our uh, sports med unit is, you know, the, the point of contact for them to keep things going. The uh, athletes that are rehabbing, bridging the rehab back to kind of normal play, they really had the the basis of communication for us uh if athletes reach out you know i'm able to talk to them but we just can't keep track of anything uh can't require anything for them so i have been doing some answering of questions answering of suggestions for programming for them but other than that i've really been working uh on my grad project the finishing leg for the masters at point loma and then doing some remote coaching um 
I actually have one downhill racer that was referred to me from Alex Bunt, so I was working with her. Uh, I know we both know him, so just a few remote clients and then kind of trying to build up uh, a private clientele out here before Governor Newsom said no, everyone closed down again. So it's just it's just been weird, man. Yeah, we're kind of uh, backstepping to a little bit. They, they started moving us back to um, like our phase one or whatever. So it's back to 25%. So we're not fully closed uh, by any means, okay. but we were at 50% capacity. Now we're at 25. So that's going to kind of make things challenging for having teams in here because we're at a capacity of 12 now. Um, um, we which, got a big again, spot for 12 people. Yeah, we got a big spot for 12 people. So again, it's, it's not the end of the world we can make it work and you know we're able to split up teams and stuff luckily we got a lot of space here at the whole centene arena so you know people that are listening that don't know where we are we're at a facility with four hockey rinks and a lot of uh area in the concourses so there's a lot of area like we literally were doing um kind of the warm-up and movement skill stuff outside here at the concourse like next to where the ice usually is they pulled up some of the ice sheets we can use that too as it's a big open space um we're kind of doubling up the coaching hours, though, because the coaches. Yeah, right. Yeah, we kind of have to do like two coaches per class to be able to split that up. Because yeah. even when we had, uh, we're able to do 24 kids in here. Um, we had um, like 30 something uh, athletes that were coming in because they were doing tryouts. Um, so we're gonna we had to split up all that, and then obviously have the kids in here and try to keep them in their individual areas, not sharing equipment, spraying down equipment, all that kind of stuff, which is challenging when you have you know like 10 year olds trying to lick each other and stuff. So, um, but we're doing the best we can and um, it's going pretty well so far. So hopefully the numbers start dropping a little bit so we can kind of keep at least this, this semblance of business um, going. But so you guys aren't able to have any, anybody in house right now or is it just limited? Uh, no, it is completely shut down at UC San Diego. Uh, the transition to division one was putting us in the big West's conference so that decision was as a school we're waiting to see what they say and then also as part of the 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 state system here in california we're waiting to see what other state schools are doing um but i think a decision's coming actually what is today the 29th i think a decision's coming tomorrow and i mean obviously like most i I don't have much confidence that a fall will be happening Um, so it's it's just a weird state but basically it was pretty interesting just to kind of be planning all of these different ways we were going to try to have everything work in terms of athletes training at their respective court or field which was having uc san diego have to buy so much more equipment to leave equipment that could be you know mobile out to there and hopefully the, the facility was going to be just for the athletes rehabbing so that you don't have a lot of foot traffic coming in and out. But like I said, I, I just don't see it happening right now. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shame, but it's, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. You know? That was kind of like right when this all started, that was the first thing I thought of was like all those rehabbing athletes. It's like that sucks. I mean, if it's people that just tore their ACL or tore their ACL during this and like couldn't mm-hmm. get surgery and had to wait. Or even people that are like late stage, man, they're like ready to come back or they're like ready to get towards those um, kind of late stage uh, rehab type exercises. And all of a sudden everything's halted and they can't even go into PT and see anybody or they can't even go see a strength coach. And uh, yeah. you can do stuff online, but it's, you know, 
obviously still challenging, has its own issues and every website is sold out of every weight, I think in the world right now. So that makes it even more challenging. Um, yeah, but that was, that was one of the biggest fears and worries I had right off the bat because, well, well like I said, so I've, I've been working with Lauren Green. He's the analyst at UC San Diego, and he's kind of our bridge between sports medicine and performance. So he's our guy that has been working with a lot of those athletes that underwent you know, major surgery. A lot of them were ACLs, which was kind of uh, beneficial for me. You know, Obviously, both of us having been at ski and snowboard and then coming where I am now, having a lot of experience with those athletes that underwent, if it was ACL, ACL, MCL. But we had a handful of athletes that were like, you know, they were at the finish line. Um, they were really ramping up strength, you know, starting to work in change direction into their running programs, things like that. And then just boom, I remember the day we got the call that we were shutting down. So that was, you know, aside from seniors losing their season, that was the biggest thing I had to worry of. I mean, he did an awesome job in terms of trying to put together a package of bands and other things that they could use to supplement the meantime if that was going to be you know all isos with these bands or you know absolutely yeah. just gruesome work time under tension but yeah that transition was really weird um it, it, it was tough but he, he handled it pretty well so that's the other thing you know what about the athletes that just got operated on they were like three weeks post-op you know they couldn't go see their pt or a facility like that so it was a pretty tough uh, setting to navigate, yeah, for sure. For sure. So when you guys are all, all up and running like normal, what kind of evals do you do for like those, uh, I guess for the bridge athletes we can talk about first and then just overall athletes? Yeah, so the, the chunk of what I – this is my neighbor, Turkey, the dog next door. Hopefully he's <laughs> not too loud. Um, so the chunk of when I came in, we had some athletes that were – just clear to really start being mainly with our strength and conditioning coaches or our performance coaches where you know the pt was kind of their secondary uh support staff so that was and it's i'll go over kind of how we do things here you know it's kind of that post-op majority with the pt you know really getting through the basic things like range of motion restoring gait uh weight bearing uh, not having any asymmetries there. And when I saw a handful of athletes come in kind of the same time, we were starting a phase where we want them to pretty much be able to build a capacity for body weight movements. If that's squat, unilateral, bilateral, things like that. And we used a system developed by our director of performance, Dr. Matt Kritz. He's done his thesis work around movement, movement competency screening, MCS which is basically just a series of seven major movements, a series of seven minor movements that we evaluate all athletes with, even if they're freshmen, all the way up to seniors or rehabbing athletes. And we use those to really develop a body weight capacity, like I said. Then from there, we go through those progressions to working in more advanced movements, proprioception, and you know, close chain strengthening, things like that. So a lot of what I was doing was taking so we had i think mainly i was working with a few soccer players we, we have obviously obviously volleyball out in california is pretty big compared to the east coast so a lot of obviously <laughs> impact injuries and a few acls there so a lot of what i was doing was movement with them 
that body weight capacity and things like that. Um, and we started to work in a bit of that narrow cog, which I know from skiing snowboard, you have a lot of experience with. I know you just had one of your podcasts with Dave the other week. He's going to be doing a lot of work with that too. Um, so that's kind of where I came in as that athletic performance support staff there. Gotcha. Yeah, that neurocog stuff uh, and just, you know, proprioception, I think is one of the big pieces of the puzzle that people kind of forget. They just go through the motions of getting stronger or getting more powerful and kind of forget. It's like your body doesn't know where it's at in space sometimes. Right. So mm-hmm. I actually, and it varies with those different types of athletes in terms of cueing and things like that. We had one athlete, uh, I'll just call it person A, they were extremely, extremely athletic. You know, you could tell that they're one of the best um, movers in terms of compensating for things throughout their their athletic career. Um, but there was basically a strength deficit that we had seen just from, you know, our analysis with actually we use Hawkins as well, that we were trying to kind of clean up some movement. Um, eventually they did tear their ACL, a clean ACL. And it was almost like, you know, that this could have been predicted and it kind of was, we were trying to clean up some things here and there. Um, they were having knee pain and other things that they were just really in their head. So basically in their rehab process, there was some cueing we were picking up on, you know, internal versus external cueing. As soon as we shifted to the external cueing, it was like a new athlete just walked in the door. And that kind of happened at the same time that I had been picking Dave's brain about the neurocognitive he's been doing. So I was just like, oh, light bulb went off. You know, it's just it's just funny. It's it's not rocket science, but sometimes you take a step back to kind of simplify it and tie those two things together. You know, a little shift in just the verbiage you're using, it almost alters their rehab path, you know. So then I know you guys were talking about it. So it's just really interesting to me. I've been looking into it that much more as well. Um, Yes. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Dave, uh, um, he sent me some articles, which I can forward on you. I don't know if he sent some stuff to you, but it was just about, you know, neuroplasticity and, uh, neurocognition and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, same thing. It's like something I've always had in my program, but it's definitely, uh, opened my, opened up my eyes a little bit more to pushing it even, even more. And I know we used it with the ski team and it was one of those things I think you see being used when, when we were there and you kind of assume that it's being used everywhere and then you realize it's not part of a lot of <laughs> rehabs and it's something that should be. Um, and for people, yeah. for people that are listening, it's kind of like uh, you were talking about external versus internal cueing. So um, basically what, with my understanding, what that's going to do is it takes the focus of the athlete away from having to you know, physically look at where their knee is or look at where they're at in space because they're having to concentrate on something else. They're concentrating on um, a cue I say a lot of times with uh, with sprinting is like pushing the turf away from you versus like drive that knee up, get that toe up, that kind of stuff. Um, And using that with movements, using that with balance, using that with plyometrics, using it with everything and trying to get them to think about, you know, moving stuff externally versus like how their body is moving internally. Um, because when you're in sport, you don't have time to think about where my ankle's at when I'm hitting the ground and if my knee's aligned here and there. And I mean, it's probably, probably not aligned. <laughs> and so it's like yeah. being able to adjust those things and kind of know where you're at in space without having to physically see it is huge. So figuring out kind of creative ways to put that into uh, training is something that I, you know, I find challenging, but also 
pretty fun too. And it's always cool to kind of see yeah. different stuff that you're doing or different stuff that, you know, Dave or Cal or whoever's doing um, at the ski team, um, just to kind of incorporate some of that stuff. Do you have any favorite exercises yeah. for that? Oh man, that's, I was just going to jump onto that point is, you know, <laughs> the external queuing. I, for me, uh, this whole time period of remote coaching, coaching over Zoom has been such a, a blessing in disguise for me being able to work on my queuing over a iPhone. Uh, it's been so weird because we're so used to being in that environment where you can demo really quick or you can get, you know, if you need to give them a tactile cue hands on or something immediately. Um, at the same time, this is all going on. I actually grabbed, you know, you guys are exos. I grabbed the uh, Winkleman's new book, the language of coaching. And that's, that's just been so fun to dive into because again, it's like taking it back to the basics for us coaches. And I challenge any coach listening to one, check out the book, obviously the, just the information there. It's, it's awesome to kind of sift through yourself, but try to do it in the least amount of words possible is to create an external cue. And that's what I was doing over zoom. I was having a high school athlete, soccer player do a broad jump. One of the basic movements we can have an athlete do and they were in their basement, kind of not that much room, but just getting someone to explode out even further as high as they can. And one of the cues I got from Winkleman, it was actually the the image was an athlete jumping over like a a, a river of crocodiles or something. Oh yeah, I've so I see that. <laughs> so basically, just for me being able to see that and translate that into a few words, the athlete they just see the the instant change of how much force they're producing into the ground in the correct direction horizontally and vertically was it, I, obviously enjoyable for me to see, enjoyable for them to see, but it was just one of those things that went off in my head. You know, how how can I say the least amount of words with an external cue and get to the solution the quickest? And that's what I've been trying to do every day with the Zoom and remote calls that I've been doing. It's just, it's been fun because that's also playing into the rehab side of it. You know, obviously these athletes are so in their head so much being, you know, the mental load they have to deal with of I'm a senior and I just did my ACL a few months ago and I got to get back as quickly as I can. How can I get them out of their head and just thinking about the task of pushing into the edge of your foot to move the other way? Yeah. You know, or pushing into the edge of the turf, like put an imprint into the sand to get to the other side. It's just something so simple that took a lot of for example one athlete their leg was kind of trembling after we were getting a little fatigued doing some quick body weight change of direction and as soon as you shorten the cue up and change the cue it was like you know it was half time the second half started and they were good they were refreshed they're ready to go again so it's it's something i'm finding through this time and the rehab athletes that i was working with kind of coming together and one to kind of help my coaching but also obviously that goes right to the athletes and first and foremost right yeah yeah i'm always working on trying to uh you know work on my cueing and uh, especially like making it more external as much as possible because i think that's helping the athletes out or most of them um, i find like kind of making it a competition uh, if they have multiple athletes or making it a competition with themselves. Like if you are doing something like a broad jump, like you said, jumping over that pit of crocodiles or like having a line for them to jump over, they're going to almost think less about where everything is. And they're going to think more about just pushing into the ground and trying to get to that point and, and compete with themselves or compete with the person next to them. 
Um, so I'll use that a lot. And then instead of like external cues, I'll use external stimulus too. Um, I know you saw um, all the snowboard cross guys with Tashana when they're on balance boards and she's throwing everything at them while they're balancing and they're trying to dodge all that kind of stuff. So that's yeah. obviously that's obviously more of a late stage thing. Um, but even something like if somebody doesn't want to land and they're um, on their you know injured side and they keep shifting away from it, you know have them land off a box and or even just do a a, a depth drop or something off a box, whatever and throw a ball at them towards that direction of the injured side. So they have to kind of shift over and grab it. And they're not necessarily thinking of, hey, land and then shift. You're thinking, hey, catch the ball. And like they have to actually go that direction to catch that kind of stuff. So I think just incorporating those kind of things. And I just incorporate in the warm up because you're going to be the freshest then. And hopefully it just exactly. kind of pushes you into those proper movement patterns that you can take into the lift as well. And that's kind of why I know you know that I, I love doing uh, – a lot of you know triphasic type stuff too and i think incorporating some of that is a good way to kind of coach them up and using those external cues while they're moving slow down or while they're pausing and you can kind of change some of their mechanics a little bit you have time to do that when they're doing it with light weight or body weight or something so um yeah kind absolutely of how early stage stuff is and it sounds like that's what you guys are doing a lot with that building that body weight capacity yeah it's it's definitely it's, it's, I mean, one, obviously going from different settings to, it's to other settings, it's just interesting to see, you know, which kind of style stick, what, how you structure, you know, movement assessment and things like that, progressions and stuff like that. But I think there's a lot of ties between what we've done and what I know that you do with a lot of triphasic and things like that. Um, so when you're going through your triphasic, and if that could be rehab, bridging athlete, completely healthy athlete, do you find the external cueing to kind of help the athlete get through? I mean, obviously, triphasic can be pretty painful for six seconds. You know, <laughs> do, you, do you find that it's been helping the athlete understand and maintain the intensity throughout triphasic? I guess is what I'm asking. Like the, the external cueing during the warm up stuff. What like I've noticed that some athletes, you know, they they get a little lazy or they start to. I guess kind of what I guess the word I'm looking for is, you know, let's, all right, let's say athlete A is going through an eccentric day, and, you know, four sets of four at six seconds coming down. I've found that using some external cueing to get them through repeatedly through that six seconds, I'm getting better reps out of them in terms of just control the weight, you know, thinking about internally that weight or whatever muscle groups are working. And I just wanted to see, you know, have you found that, the external cueing there has made a change in the athlete understanding, but also producing pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I honestly don't know if I've made a, uh, as much of an effort as I should for external cueing some of those movements probably, but I'm continuously cueing them and having them focus on something. Um, again, I'm, I'm still continuously trying to shift my cueing from more internal external, um, sometimes. So I probably could get more external with that kind of stuff. So I don't know if I've necessarily noticed a difference from one or the other for like a, you know, a squat or a lunge or whatever it is, like eccentrics <laughs> yeah. or isometrics. Um, but I think no matter what, like cueing them and giving them a goal of kind of why they're doing that um, during the movement helps, um, which is challenging when you have a large group and you're trying to bounce around and trying to make sure yeah. everybody's actually holding it, getting them to count um, or watch the clock and actually holding it for those amount, of, those amount of seconds. But I think that 
comes along with just education and they're like, why are we doing this for eight seconds? Or why are we, you know, why am I holding it down here and trying to explain that to them? Um, so a lot of times I'll do, what we call like turf talks and, um, you know, we don't have a ton of time to do education stuff here all the time. Um, so, you know, five minutes before classes, we'll talk about different things. And I actually have like a whole list for the whole year of like each week, like what my topic is, what I want to talk about. And we just base it off of excess's four pillars, which is just, um, just mindset, movement, nutrition, and recovery. So I'll rotate each week and kind of talk about some of that different stuff. So um, there's been classes when I know we're starting a new block and it's a difficult block because it is uh, isometric or because it is eccentric. Um, and I'll bring that up why we're doing that. And hopefully that kind of transitions a little bit um, as well. But even when I'm doing like uh, the ISO work and eccentric work, uh, I, I don't really do it every day. I always have like one day that's focused on it. Just because I find if you are doing like uh, straight eccentric or straight isometric, uh, it's challenging for the athletes mentally to kind of do that every single day. Um, so I yeah. try to switch it up a little bit. It could be boring too for them. Like, oh, six seconds again. Here we go. Yeah. yeah. So I, I find that I get better uh, results if I'm doing um, maybe some more just lightweight or body weight uh, stuff the other days of the week. And then you can kind of increase the intensity with the ISOs and the eccentric stuff. And I'll do that usually on like a Wednesday just because, you know, Monday, sometimes you're fatigued from the weekend, Friday, you're fatigued from the week. So Wednesday, I kind of uh, took that from uh, from Josh with the ski team. Wednesday is usually the um, best day of the week for, for working. And that's kind of something that came from the business world. And, and I mean, I've noticed it myself and with my athletes with training too. So those are usually the hardest days for me. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's so funny. Um, yeah, sense. so... It does. Um, it really does. Yeah, Josh, he's, he's got a good head on. But um, given, I know you've been doing a lot of work with that, obviously it's what the podcast is called, that bridging from rehab to fitness time period. And I think that's something that we're starting to see a growing need for, even though we knew the growing need was there all along. I think people are starting to realize that there is a gap if I'm patient A, there is this gap between when I leave my physical therapist to what now. Um, and I know you've been basically doing a lot of work around that. So how, how has that been going for you in terms of are you seeing a lot more people come to you with that need, um, especially being that you're in a, such a new setting now compared to skiing snowboard, having been associated yeah. with Mercy and things like that. So I just wanted to kind of pick your brain on that. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing coming in here uh, you know, Mercy has, at least when we started, they have uh, ATs and PTs in like 22 high schools in the area. So they have a huge footprint here. Um, obviously, that's, there's a lot of ACL injuries in high school and just injuries in general. I know we always talk about ACLs, but just, just because that's a, that's a long injury, that's, that's fairly common. So um, really any injury, though. But I think the hardest thing was coming in with people not really knowing my background, who I was, you know, they didn't know if I was just some... Um, you know, personal trainer that didn't have any experience actually working with rehab athletes. So I think uh, kind of trying to build that trust with people was one of the biggest things. Um, hold on a second here. Anyway, so getting that that trust was something that was uh, that was big and something I'm probably continuously working on. Um, I know there's some PTs that have sent me uh, athletes, and you know they've enjoyed working with me. Hopefully, and I've enjoyed working with them. So. Um, we'll kind of just build that as we go. So, so far, everybody that's come through here, you know, we've 
return back to sport or we would have returned back to sport if it wasn't for COVID, like they're cleared. Um, so, you know, we're kind of, we kind of have that, that high school, um, uh, group just from mercy, but I think there is still kind of getting that younger adults group in here and getting them to realize that even though they're not doing a sport, like you still need to be doing strength work. Um, and also getting people to realize that they can start doing this like earlier in PT, right? So you don't need to wait until you're clear from PT to come see me or come see whoever. Um, you know, when, when we're with, if you look at any pro team, you know, when we were with the, um, the ski team or, or if you look at any of these pro hockey teams, because I'm in a hockey facility here or, or wherever, like strength coaches are working with people sometimes a couple weeks after surgery and there's plenty of stuff you can do to keep up your conditioning, to keep up your upper body work, to keep up your core work um, and to work on your well leg, right? So if I have an ACL uh, injury, I can still yeah, do a lot over. of stuff, right? And people kind of forget about that. They're like, oh no, I'm injured. I can't do anything. Shut it down. Insurance is paying for me to do PT. So I'll do what insurance says. Insurance doesn't really always have your best interest in mind. They're going to do what needs to get you back to a normal life and be able to go to the bathroom without tearing your ACL again. So right. if you're trying to go out and play rec league softball, insurance is not enough for you. You need to find somebody who knows what they're doing a little bit, um, spend some time with them doing some strength work. You can do that pretty early on. Um, you know, find somebody like me or somebody like you that has some experience with it and you know, make sure that they're willing to work with that physical therapist. I always tell the, the PT or AT, like, you know, they're in charge. Like, they're telling me when I can do things, you know. Like, the first time they're doing strength work or the first time they're doing agility work or, or plyos or whatever is going to be in physical therapy. And then once that progresses to a point that they feel safe, then we kind of take that to that next level. So um, I think that's kind of something where we can go uh, with this next is taking – taking this to the next level into that adult population. So I'm kind of excited to see where that goes. And that's something I'm kind of trying to push through um, this as well, through the rehab project is like, you know, I think anybody that has that surgery really needs to kind of think about what they're doing outside of PT because twice a week for five months is not enough because I've seen athletes that come into PT five and six days a week and they start seeing me five days a week, two weeks post-op, and they're still not ready at seven and eight months. So if you're doing yeah. it twice a week for five months, kind of screwing yourself and setting yourself yeah, up for failure. Moderate to higher level and athlete, right? Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that's why I kind of loved, you know, how you've, you know, I'm going to say bridged again, bridged this podcast. No, but you're, you, I think we were so lucky to have built such a pivotal part of our career at, Ski and snowboard, just a really collaborative environment where obviously there was no cubicles, no walls, you know, sports med, athletic development was such a free-flowing system. And that was one of the first points for me to really see that. And now at UC San Diego, it's also a, a pretty high-performing model in terms of that collaboration between sports med and strength conditioning where the athletes don't see a divide. And I think we as a professional kind of have a duty to bring that free flowing collaboration to everyone, which I know is what you're doing is breaking down this bridge between, Oh, this is a physical therapist, but this is a strength conditioning coach. Obviously, yes, that's a trade difference, but in terms of serving the person, I think we need to mainstream and make it popular. Obviously it's getting that route, but 
there shouldn't be this divide of, okay, you're here, you can't go over there yet, but now you can after this. But blending the two, because obviously each has its own importance, but each contributes to the other in such a more efficient way earlier on to make that person so much better for the long run. And I don't care if you're an Olympian or if you're my uncle that just had both knees replaced. It's, it's the same level of importance, right? Yeah, and I would say, kind of echo that by saying, you know, if you're listening to this and you're a strength coach and you're trying to kind of work with people in rehab, go spend some time shadowing some physical therapists that are doing that so you know what they're doing yep. and you know what their thought process is, all right? Um, and vice versa, if you're a, a physical therapist or an AT and, you know, a, a lot of times, unfortunately, people that come straight out of school, they don't have necessarily that strength conditioning background, which is not their fault. It's just kind of what school is, mm-hmm. right? Um, so they don't necessarily know what's going to happen in the weight room. And that's scary to them, too, because they're handing over these people, right? So try to totally. find somebody that you trust in the area, spend some time with them, shadow them, whatever. If you're in the St. Louis area, email me and come shadow <laughs> me. I don't care. I'll show you what we're doing. Um, and no, but it's so true. It's so true. I mean, we here in San Diego, we've had, you know, our ATs will come over and just be there for the performance sessions. You know, it's. You know, there's been ATs, you know, you can get your CSCS, you know, on paper, you're good to go. But then when you get into the sport performance session or the athletic performance session, strength conditioning session, whatever you call it, it's totally different, you know. But having our ATs come over and just see what we're doing, it, they understand so much more. And they also, it's better for them queuing wise right? Sometimes in the clinical setting, it's very closed box. And I mean, even for us getting to another setting and just pulling other cues and other strategies of doing things it fuels the success of the athlete that much more when the athlete can see that blend too it's you know not one or the other yeah that's the biggest thing is not having it be a handoff from one person to the other but having them work totally collaboratively so when uh you know joe schmo comes over and they're doing strength work with me they know i've talked to that pt they know I know what they're doing in there and we're not doubling up on what they're doing in there. So that's something I also talk about with uh, PTs and ATs when I'm working with somebody new is like, what's your plan going forward? What do you do these days versus these days? So, you know, if you're working on lateral work on Tuesdays, like I'm not going to be doing that or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So kind of make sure you're working together. So that's cool that you guys are doing that. Are you doing that with any um, private clients now? Are you getting into any kind of rehab stuff with that? Um, I do actually have some that they didn't come to me for that reason, but coincidentally, you know, getting to know the athlete, oh yeah, I did snap my ankle completely. And I have two pins in my ankle last year from playing high school soccer. I was like, okay, that is why your squat looks like that. So it's, it's been good for them to, I mean, it was totally a coincidence that they found me and, you know, I have this background and they had this happen to them, but now that we've been working together for a few weeks, they're like, wow, I really should have been doing this so much earlier. My ankle feels great. It doesn't feel stiff. You know, I don't feel low back pain because I'm not having to compensate here. Obviously, they're not saying that, but that's me telling them that. <laughs> um, so it's it's been nice, you know, to have a few clients that just have had that happen. And, you know, you are able to teach them, yeah, this is, this is a part of your solution. And it is the solution right now. So... Um, a lot of what I've been able to do, the facility I'm at, it's a little just open floor, not a lot of tools, but being able to get creative in terms of giving them the workout they're seeking, which is why they were seeking a trainer, but also work on developing smoother movement. And obviously, 
smoothing out the edges that was pain for them has been awesome because obviously we as coaches just want to coach. So just this whole half a year period right now is like deprived me of, you know, seeing more and new people that I want to give a solution to. So it's been enjoyable right now. You know, hopefully I can keep, you know, grabbing a few um, from the woodwork that, you know, need this kind of help, but it's, it's been enjoyable so far. That's awesome, dude. Well, um, did you have any specific questions for me, man? I know you, you kind of reached out to me and I just thought we'd record this uh, as a just general no, conversation, I mean, man. Yeah, we've just been kind of shooting it so far <laughs> and a lot, a lot of the questions have kind of been uh, answered. Just, you know, I just kind of wanted to see how you were doing. I know it's been such a weird time and you've jumped settings entirely from ski and snowboard to, to uh, Mercy over there. So I've, I've enjoyed seeing you kind of like take it up a notch on social media and kind of have that window into your work. So that's why I was just kind of wanting to see how you've been doing. And um, yeah, just yeah, it's trying to push a lot of that, uh, you know, social media content, get some stuff out there, especially with COVID happening. Obviously, you have some more time in your hands. So that got ramped mm-hmm. up a lot during that. Um, and with both our Mercy page and then just, uh, you know, my personal page and um, some of the other coaches here, personal page, but yeah, it's been fun getting in the, the hockey world a little bit, working with some young hockey players, um, yeah. kind of seeing, seeing, uh, how they work and then continuing with the, uh, the rehab setting type stuff, which is really what I've kind of fell in love with when I worked with the ski team. So being able to still work with athletes, work with adults and work with uh, rehab, uh, patients is yeah. super fun. So it's uh, a little, little close there. to home being a blues fan too. I bet that's pretty rad. Yeah, man. Ready to get another <laughs> run for the cup. So, you know, our facility looks right over the practice ice. I was showing you earlier. So you yeah, know, they were uh, practicing down there right before they left last week and, you know, I was deadlifting. So I think I was pretty inspirational to them. Uh, <laughs> so when they run for a cup and, you know, they have to knock the Phillies said, out or, or there's, the there's, flyers there's out. BK deadlifting today. We got to get after it now. <laughs> Yeah, so, the, you know, they'll probably win a cup because of that is my, my thought process. That's awesome. Um, That's so funny. But, yeah, you know, so, sorry, Flyers are screwed. <laughs> hey, man, don't count us out. We got some young guns coming. Hopefully the, the season doesn't get messed with. <laughs> the freaking, the, the Miami Marlins were uh, shooting everyone in the foot. You see that? Yeah. Oh, come on. That was just rough. Hopefully it doesn't happen across other sports. You know, I just want to obviously – See everyone get through it, but I miss sports so much, so it's been fun. Hopefully, uh, nothing else gets set back. All right, man. Well, it was yeah. good chat with you. Um, Definitely, bye. always. Thanks for hopping on, man. Absolutely, man. Thanks. So, sorry, after stopping the recording, me and Tyler kept talking like usual, and the conversation started getting interesting again, so I went ahead and started recording the convo again. So, we got another few minutes here of some more ACL talk. Enjoy. So, how much more how much how specific will you get to someone on a hamstring graft like obviously you're not going to do well basically yeah all right so you have someone that's hamstring graft what do you kind of alter versus patellar graft in terms of a, a basic day for them you just give a little more time to it in the warm-up isos kind of what are your your first thoughts on that so my first thought on uh, if it's a hamstring graft, is I'm going to try to put a ton of volume on their hamstrings. So I don't want to okay. burn it out at the beginning. Um, I don't necessarily do more during the warm-up unless they're having issues like some kind of uh, tightness or pain there. Um, then I might kind of focus a little bit more on it with some ISOs. But yeah. 
like ISO bridges or something like that to start. Like I'm not going to do ISO Nordics if they're having pain in their hamstring. <laughs> but, um, you know, I usually will focus at the end of the workout doing some kind of like almost burnout sets like trying to get some volume into those hamstrings as much as possible. Yeah. And again, it depends on where they're at in the phase. If it's earlier stage, really doing double leg bridge is going to light it up. Um, yeah, right. Take that on to single leg bridge. And then I'll kind of get their feet up on something else to increase that range of motion. Um, eventually getting them over to be able to do some kind of RDL, single leg RDLs. And then the Nordic stuff I like to do towards that late stage just because, you know, you got a piece of your hamstring taken out. So it's a lot yeah, of geez. it's a lot of force uh, on that with the Nordics. And from what I've seen, the hamstring grafts, like later stages and even like years later, like I know I'm working with uh, Caldwell, like she had a hamstring graft like four years before this and she's still like her hamstring would cramp up. So really trying to build so up that just, hypertrophy as yeah. much as possible, I think, is the biggest thing. Yeah. You have, you know, you have the entire rehab, so whatever that is for that athlete, six, nine months or whatever, to build up the hypertrophy. So it's like just uh-huh. like try to crush it as much as you can and build that back up, you know, once it's healed yeah. up, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah. And then with patella tendon uh, graft, what I've seen early stage, it's hard to really crank on it because it gets real pissed off. Um, yeah. You get a lot of anterior patella pain. You get a lot of athletes. I've had a lot of athletes that are kind of like upset that they had that surgery right away. But I think late, later, once you get through that, it's a maybe a better graph um, than the yeah. hamstring because you don't have that loss of muscle mass. But at the beginning, it, it does tend to get, and it's not everybody, but it does tend to get a little bit more pissed off. So those deeper ranges of motion type movements are going to hurt a little bit more. So we kind of let a lot of that uh, – that range of motion work get done in PT. Um, and then once that kind of calms down, which, um, you know, may or may not happen by three or four months, um, we can start getting into some, uh, deeper range of motion lunges, which I'll use a lot of times during the warmups. So that's kind of what I use during the warmups for those ones. Um, I love doing those like deep forward lunges where I'm driving that knee past the toe and I'm kind of putting yeah. the, the hands on the ground as far forward as I can. Um, I love doing squats off a box where I'm going as deep as I can, driving the knee forward. Um, if they are having some more knee pain, I'll do some more static stuff where we're doing pause split squats a lot of times, driving that knee past the toe just to kind of get the tissue uh, prepared for that load right there. Um, I know that helped me out when I had some quad tendon stuff going on. So if I had somebody with a quad tendon graft, which I've only worked with uh, two people with that, um, it would probably be a similar type setup as well. They don't tend to have as much – uh, at least from the two people I had, they haven't had as much like uh, anterior knee pain, um, but they do yeah. a lot of times have some more quad atrophy, um, and it's a little, little harder to get that back. So with those people, I'm yeah. doing more stuff like TKEs yeah. and just really trying to fire that quad up as much as possible before and after the workouts. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean the patellar one makes sense so that that joint gets so much action just walking around your house, going upstairs, and that yeah. could obviously be yeah, um, yeah. That's what we saw at UCSD too. I didn't see any hamstrings or I don't think any quads either. I mean, it was only four athletes, but yeah. Yeah. So with, with the other thing with the patella uh, graph, I'll see late stage. A lot of times you see people come back and if you are using force plates and you're looking at their rate of force development, right? So like you want to see the rate of force development go up, obviously. And, you know, you know, from working with uh, the ski team that it's kind of one of the, one of the last things to come back even after power is what your rate of force is. And, um, started recording this again for people listening it's uh basically like 
ACLs generally happen in the first non-contact ACLs generally happen in the first 50 milliseconds. So you want to make sure you're contracting that muscle um, in that first 50 milliseconds. And sometimes when you have people jump on the force plates, you can see that their rate of force development on their healthy leg is, you know, firing in the first five milliseconds. And then their other side, nothing is happening until they're at, you know, 50 or 100 milliseconds. So basically that that knee is at risk right there then, right? Okay. So you want to try to bring that back as much as possible. So I've seen it where somebody with a patella tendon graph will go on, they'll do their jump, and their rate of force development on their injured leg is like super high. And you're like, what the hell is going on? Like, how are they <laughs> this good? And you kind of have to like look at the motion too and slow it down. This is when you like want to kind of analyze the actual movement and not just look at the numbers. Um, because what they're doing is they're not absorbing at all because their knee hurts. They don't, their, their knee doesn't want to completely absorb, right? So when they're landing, that knee doesn't want to drive forward and bend because they have that anterior uh, patella pain. So it's basically, it's just a stiffer knee. So they're absorbing more with the healthy leg. So even though the number says it's better because it's a higher rate of force development, really you're just landing with a more locked out leg and that's not necessarily yeah. better. So what you want is a higher rate of force development while you're absorbing with your muscles, not from your like locked out knee. So ways yeah. I've kind of helped with that is um, again, doing those deeper range of motion um, exercises for warm up, those deep lunges, just to try to get them used to those positions. And then I'll take them over and I'll do like single leg static jump type work. Um, and then single leg, like counter movement jump works and just try to get them to first off, let's get you used to the movement and then we'll take you over and we're going to try to do some plyos where you have to absorb. And I'm cueing on that too, like soft knees and stuff, um, and trying to get them to actually like absorb with that knee. And then you'll take them over and have them do a double leg and it looks way better. So it takes a yeah. while, but that's something that I've seen, uh, help out with patella tendons. Awesome. That's awesome. We just talked cool. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, those, that's really, yeah. The only things really wanted to pick your brain about, I mean, I'm just diving into it this month in terms of kind of making my own structure. So it's, it's cool to just have the different environments, but there's so obviously there's so much crossover crossover and so similar, but it's just interesting to kind of see, you know, skiing snowboard, you know, lengthier in terms of like boom, 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 a little more nitty gritty in terms of stage to stage to stage. And then um, UCSD, I've seen more of like a benchmark driven, like once you get here, you know, there, it's kind of four bigger chunks uh, that's a little more open-ended, I guess I should say. Gotcha. So, yeah. But yeah, that's kind of all I wanted to really pick your brain on. So thanks for that. Cool. Man. Awesome, dude. I won't, uh, I won't keep you any longer. I know you got to get back to it in a few so yeah it was good thanks again, again man. man we'll have to do this again sometime yeah dude definitely we'll talk about you know trying to come up with ideas for collabing on anything and everything you know sounds social good. media just to kind of keep things going so sounds good all right man don't go crazy out there <laughs> thanks brother you too Later. That's all we have today, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed it. If you did, go ahead and subscribe and like, and please share this podcast. Um, if you want to learn some more about what Tyler's doing, you can find him on Instagram at coach underscore Tyler Pultro, P-U-L-T-R-O. Thanks for joining.